good. God Almighty, you scared the hell out of me. I thought you was Obama coming to take my guns. Well, that's stupid. He's in Kenya now anyway. Uh, excuse me just a moment. Let me put away my weaponry. You know what? I, I'm glad you stopped by. Turns out, I got another letter. This time from all the way in Lubbock. Let me see if I can remember what they's asking me. Let's see here. Dear Cowboy Economist, that's me. I'm worried. How long before China comes over here and takes what's theirs? When will we stop borrowing money from them? Signed, Looney in Lubbock. Good Lord Almighty, I wish somebody would send me an easy question. Um, as a matter of fact, this is going to take a lot of explaining. I'm going to need to do more than one video. Because you see, in order to understand how the government goes about financing its operations, you should really hear how the people in the private sector do it first. And unfortunately, that is extremely poorly understood. So it's going to take me a little bit. Well, let's get started. First, let's talk about banks. Now, I believe that most people think that what banks do is loan out somebody else's savings. Well, they do a little bit of that, but that's actually a very minor factor. Indeed, what they actually do, and I don't mean the Federal Reserve. I mean the bank that's down the street from you. I mean my little local branches right here in Fort Worth. They create money out of thin air. And I know it's hard to imagine that because you probably think of money as, as stuff like this. Well, and yes, obviously that is money, but, but as, I know, as you no doubt realize, most money is actually an electronic entry on a computer somewhere. And so the real question for us is, how do those electronic entries get made? Well, strangely enough, the easiest way to answer that question is to actually go back in time to before computers existed. Uh, for example, let's think about the Old West. Let's say that this is a uh, small farming community and there's a general store. And Farmer Pat comes into the general store and says, uh, excuse me, general store proprietor, I would like to plant some corn. However, I do not have the money for seed. Well, the proprietor might say, uh, well, well, Pat, I've known you for years. Uh, I know you're good for it. Why don't you sign this IOU right here? And then uh, when the harvest is over and you've sold the crops, well, you can come in here and buy the IOU back from me. And if you end up not paying me back, well, then I'll just see to it that you're hanged. A simpler life back then. Um, so what happens here is, I mean, notice the, the proprietor doesn't even have any savings. The proprietor has seeds, but seeds that are being unused. And so what we can do here by extending credit to Farmer Pat, we could put a real resource in action and create something that didn't exist before, and that was some corn. Now, but wait, there's more. Let's say that when Farmer Pat signed this IOU for $50, that the proprietor of the general store was walking past the stable and saw a saddle that they liked. And guess what? That saddle is $50. You know, theoretically, the proprietor of the general store could trade this for the saddle. If the stable owner was trusting, then they'd be able to trade this for the saddle. In fact, at that point, the stable owner could even go somewhere else. Uh, give me $50 worth of whiskey or something like that. Why, this, this IOU here could be passed all around town before Farmer Pat ever comes back in after the harvest to buy it back. In fact, think, 
Why, this might be a whole community of farmers. There might be 100, 200, 300 of these in circulation at any given time. In every season, they're going to have to redo this. Hopefully, you've stashed away a little cash from last season, but generally speaking, you end up borrowing some more. So this community here could be essentially running more on this than they are on this. Now, there's a lot to think about here. I'm going to stop and talk about three things. One, the IOU can perform functions just like money. Another, actually kind of an interesting side note, that it will perform the function of money even if Farmer Pat ends up defaulting and being hanged. Now, at that point, this might have some, some you know, sort of uh, curio value. Like, isn't that the guy that got hanged or something like that? But otherwise, it's not worth $50 anymore. And this is very important. The whole system depends on trust. The farmer has to get somebody to trust them that they will be able to grow this food and, and, and uh, you know, sell it and buy this back. The stable owner has to either trust Farmer Pat or trust that the merchant is a good judge of character. And so this, this, this is so important, I wrote it down. A financial system is a series of interconnected promises to pay someone else in the future, and it is stable and viable only so long as these different entities trust one another. That's, that, that's deep. I feel myself tearing up. I'm okay. Now, the only thing that's different today from this scenario is that, generally speaking, the merchant and the individual issuing the IOU are no longer the same person. In fact, what we have today is an entire industry that focuses just on determining your creditworthiness and then extending to you IOUs in the event that you'd like to spend more money than you've got. And of course, I'm talking about the banking industry. And in fact, this is so important in the real world. You think, well, that, that, that's interesting. Maybe a few of these are floating around, but really most money is like this. I read an article by an Englishster by the name of, of Richard Werner. And in his paper, and it had lots of numbers and stuff, in his paper, he estimated that 97% of all the money circulating in England today was created by the process of extending credit. 97% of the money in England is because somebody at some point took out a loan and this created brand new money. Now, I know it's awful hard to think about this the first time you hear it. It was for me. Um, that, that's why I started drinking. But let's see how far we can get into this. As I say, there, there's a lot to do here, and, and I, I don't want to do too much in one video. But um, let me show you how, uh, how this sort of Old West uh, scenario works in modern day. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to show you some accounting. And I am terribly, terribly sorry about that. I apologize right away. Pardon me, let me grab my ledger. That's not a euphemism. All right. Like so many people today, I, my head won't be in shot for a lot of this. Like so many people today, I keep a whiteboard at the house. And if I get the glare off of that, I believe you can see all of that. What I've got here is a sample bank, all right? The first national bank of Dodge City. Now, banks, like any business,
has assets and liabilities, all right? Now, asset is something that adds to the value of your bank. Maybe I'll kneel down here because you might want to see that I'm really saying all this and not just uh, uh, ventriloquizing, uh, as they say. Let me see if I can get down here. How do you get? Um, the assets. Now, in this particular bank here, you know, I say in thousands, uh, that's, that's much smaller than the bank would really be. But I, I have, I'm doing that for a reason of an example here in a minute. In the meantime, our bank here has assets and these things add to the value of the bank. And then they have liabilities. Well, that's what they owe somebody else. Now, on these assets, for this particular bank I made up, they got $50,000 in treasury bills. These are promises by the United States government to pay somebody in the future. And these are extremely safe investments, which is why they pay such low interest. They're extremely safe. Now, now we'll get into, in, in a subsequent video, where these come from. But right now, let's just pretend they come from God. I mean, that, that's pretty close to the way it is anyway. Also, this bank has made loans to people. Now, this is going to be their big money maker. Uh, they're going to make the most money off of the loans, but then, of course, you might not pay back. So there's that inverse relationship between rate of return and the safety of the asset. Speaking of which, they've also got 20000 just sitting in the vault in reserve. Guess how much money that makes? Absolutely nothing. But it's safe. Short of bank robbery or fire, this is perfectly safe right here. So this particular bank has 230 thousand dollars in assets all right now let's see what their liabilities are well their big one here is everyone's checking account well that's your money you can come in and take it anytime you want to right so that's a liability for them also you might not know this but banks also borrow money they might borrow money from you well when you buy a, a, a cd or you put your money into a savings account you're loaning the bank money and uh this number right here is not exactly a liability. Check this out. This adds to 230. This adds to 210. If the bank were able to cash in all the assets at once and then pay off all the liabilities, that's what they'd have left over. So that is the net value of the bank, the net worth of the bank. Now, uh, as it turns out, and, and this is going to be a subsequent video again. The most important number on this screen right now is at 20. But just think about that. It, it'll, be, it'll be upcoming. I'm not going to do it yet. Now, if the bank lost assets, if some of those loans didn't get paid back, all right, and we've got to cross that down, oh, 150, oh, 140. If that number there turns zero or negative, you know what happens to bank manager? He trotted off to a minimum security prison, which is what we do instead of hanging nowadays. Because the bank is then insolvent, all right? So that's the big worry they've got, that the insolvency. That if this number gets down to zero or negative, even worse, well, frankly, if it gets small, all of a sudden you'll get a knock on your door from the government, just like I thought I had earlier in this video. All right, so, but this doesn't explain how money is created today in the same way as it is with the IOUs. So let's create a scenario. Let's say that I've decided that I'd like to buy a car for $30,000, no money down. Now, first thing, I'm going to lay this down here a little bit and, and, and talk again. I'll have to pick it up. There. First thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to go into the dealership and negotiate with the salesperson. Now, my wife and I like to play good cop, bad cop on that. Uh, it, it's really a fun game. 
for example, I might be on the showroom floor and scream out, uh, uh, who in God's name do you think you people are? Um, uh, you know, I'm going down to the other dealership, uh, who was your mother, and slam some doors and stuff like that. And then, and then what she does is she walks up real quiet and puts her hand on my arm and she says, honey, don't forget what the probation officer said. And, and this, this uh, we have found this to be an effective negotiating technique. But, but that, that's really sort of a, an extra issue here. That's just to determine the price of the vehicle. Our problem now is I ain't got $30,000. So what I need now is a bank. Now, I got two choices here. I could go off to a bank by myself and negotiate this loan for $30,000. Or I could buck up my courage and go into the finance manager's office there at the dealership. Now, you've got to have a strong stomach for this. You, you, you've got to, to practice in a mirror, that's what we usually do, saying no over and over. And you also have to steal yourself for the possibility of seeing a grown-up cry. Because if you are able to leave without buying any of the extended warranty, that's liable to be what you see. So, let us now, I believe we're up to the loan. Yes, we are, we're up to the loan now. Let's see how we make that sausage. Here is how money is created in the private sector when somebody takes out a loan. Now, first of all, let me get my green pen out. First of all, let's say this bank, you know, of course they want to make the loan because this is a big money maker. And if they feel like I'm going to pay it back, well then yes, they absolutely want to do this. So uh, first thing they're going to do is they're going to change this to a 190. Hope you can see that's not real big. But now they have an extra $30,000, that's what I'm borrowing to buy this car. So we put that down on loans, right? Now that's simple enough. And oh, I'm sorry, I should change this down here, shouldn't it? $260,000 worth of assets. But do you know what this leaves open? How did they get the money to me? Where's this money come from? It can't come from reserves, they don't have that much. Well, all they do, pardon me while I reach, you're not gonna believe this. They hand me a checkbook and they say, you know what? You can write checks up to $30,000 on that. Oh, need my red pen. And that's all she wrote. The loan is made. That's it. And in the process, new money was created. Let me see what I got on my next page here where I outline the series of events that's supposed to be taking place. Yes, yes, with a few caveats, and I'm gonna add later, this is it. This, in this situation right here, $30,000 was created out of thin air. They didn't get it someplace. Now, I am sure that right now, you have many things going through your head about how this can't possibly be the way this really works. So let me see if I can address a couple of those issues real quick. Uh, and we're going to wind up here fairly soon so that we can get this one done and get the next, next, next video started about how much of, of Lubbock we can expect to see hauled off to China. Um, but at any rate, perhaps your first question might be, well, what happens if, if, you know, after all, I've received the check, right? I got the checkbook right here. I should say it's checkbook. Uh, the bank has down here the extra 30000 in assets. They've got down the extra 30000 in checking. What if I go write a check on the 30000 They've only got 20000 in reserve. If I go write a check for 30000 where are they going to get the money? And of course, that's obviously what I'm going to do because the reason I borrowed this money was to buy the car. Well, all right, number of scenarios. 
First, well, what if the car dealership banks at the same place I do? All they got to do is change the name. Change it from John Harvey to, uh, I, I don't want to use a real, uh, Bob's Dealership. Okay, in case I get in some sort of copyright trouble. Uh, Bob's Dealership. Okay, well, that'd be lucky, wouldn't it? You know that, um, But, you know, very possibly the, the dealership banks somewhere else, so we're losing 30000 right? We don't have 30000 to pay out. Well, but, but also do not forget that over the course of the day, there will also be people from other banks writing checks to people who bank here. So we only need to worry about the net difference. If 30000 goes out, but twenty comes in today, well, we still got 10000 extra, right? So uh, that's another issue. Now, they could also, if they wanted to, they could borrow money from other banks. That's what that was all about right there. Um, this, you know, if, if this bank is running short, well, maybe some other bank has extra. In fact, if you think about it, that kind of makes sense. Or, worst case scenario, well, hell, let's just sell some of them treasury bills. All right, we're short of cash. We need it. We'll just sell some of these, and then it'll go out that way right there. All right, now, here's the funny thing. Everything I just told you really isn't all that important in real world, real world banking because of the fact that the way the Federal Reserve operates makes all of those a non-issue. Because you're probably thinking to yourself right now, well, wait a minute. The bank isn't free to do whatever it wants with this number. In fact, there are federal regulations determining how much they must keep. And you're absolutely right. I'm glad you thought of that. Let me erase the numbers and go back to our original so that I can make this example. Change that back to 160. That one back to 200, that one back to 230, that one back to 230. Green pen, 160, 230. Red pen, 200, 230. Now, as it turns out, the federal regulation is that the bank must keep 10% of checking in the vault. That's why I did the example like this in the first place. In the olden days, banks were free to keep as much as they thought was safe down here. And uh, th that turned out to be a bad idea because as you recall from earlier in the video, you make zero money out of this as the banker. So there's an incentive to make this number as small as possible, which means that there's an incentive to put your bank into an increasingly precarious position by making bigger and bigger loans, which therefore increases your checking, which therefore causes people to write checks somewhere else, which therefore drains this money out. So the government says now, well, you've got to have at least 10%. Now, uh, think about what happens now. Let's say, and note here, by the way, note that the problem that arises under this scenario does not take place when the check is written to the car dealership. It takes place as soon as the loan is made. Because the moment the loan is made, this bank is no longer meeting a federal regulation. Going back to the $30,000 loan, What's the problem? Well, the problem is very clearly right there. It's not 10% anymore. So even before 
we face the issue of what if I then write the check for $30,000 and that money potentially leaves their vaults? Even before that problem, they are short of reserves. So what do they do about it? Well, it turns out it's not that big a deal. Because first of all, they have 14 days to worry about this. This is not a problem that needs to be solved right now. And if I'm the banker, and I feel like I can make a good loan here. I feel like this is one's going to get paid back. I'm going to make the loan. I don't care whether I've got the reserves or not. I'll worry about that later because I'm in the business to make good loans and make money. So we go ahead and make the money, or make the loan rather, and then worry about getting that extra $3,000 of reserves later. All right, well, what are our options as far as that goes? Well, they're very similar to what I had said just a moment ago, but with a different scenario. Uh, first off, Maybe somebody else will deposit money here today and I'll attract funds. But uh, let's discount that one. Um, what I could do is, in order to meet this requirement, I can borrow money from other banks. And in fact, that's a very common source of getting funds to cover your reserves. In fact, you may have heard the name the federal funds market. That's what that's all about. In the federal funds market, banks that ended up at the end of the day with extra reserves loan their money overnight to banks that have insufficient reserves. And so money that would have just sat in the vault overnight making nothing, they make a little bit of something out of it. It's sort of a wholesale price between banks, right? So the uh, federal funds market will try to channel funds from the banks that ran short of reserves, uh, I'm sorry, towards the banks that ran short of reserves from those that had excess. Now, what if the entire banking system is short? What if the economy is expanding? I mean, this is not an unusual scenario where all the banks, that things are picking up now, all the banks are making loans because everyone's coming up with uh, uh, profitable ideas and people are now buying cars and so forth. What if everybody's short? What if there's nobody that has excess? Now, a fascinating thing happens because if everyone is short of reserves, the competition for those reserves will drive up the price of money, which you have probably heard of called I don't know where all you can see on the screen. Let's see. Oh, you can see over here. Just a little bit. The interest rate. The interest rate's a price of money. And so if all these banks are competing for what is essentially an insufficient amount of reserves to cover their requirement, they're going to bid each other up and they're going to drive up the interest rate. Well, what does the Federal Reserve target but interest rates? The Federal Reserve holds an interest rate target for months, sometimes years. And if there is a risk that people are going to drive up the interest rate by competing for reserves, you know what the Fed does? They inject new reserves. What the Fed would do, if this bank couldn't get the money anywhere else, we'll change that to 47, change that to 23, long story short, we're done. The Fed is almost obligated to do this. If they have set an interest rate target, and if there is competition for those reserves, they have to supply the excess reserves or they don't get their target. They don't hit their target. Now, they can change their target, but as you probably know, they don't do that very often. And so, as a consequence, in the real world, the Federal Reserve doesn't have much control over the supply of money, despite what you may have learned in your economics class. Um, I would urge you to write a letter to your university or your high school where you took economics and they told you that the Federal Reserve could control the money supply, and I would ask for a refund. I would ask for that money back because it's wrong. 
The Federal Reserve only has a very indirect amount of control over the supply of money. They can set the price of money, right? They can set that interest rate. And if the interest rate starts to move, they can supply or drain these reserves as necessary to keep that interest rate. But otherwise, really banks today are not reserve constrained. It's a wonderful scene and it's a wonderful life. Uh, and of course, that's a savings and loan. It's a little bit different, or at least it was back then. But it's a wonderful scene, but that doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, e even without the uh, federal deposit insurance, the fact that the Fed is obligated to supply reserves when they are short means that reserves are really no longer a constraint on banks. The real problem at banks, and I'm not going to get into this today, unfortunately, but the real problem at banks is going to be maintaining that number right there. That's what got so small before the financial crisis, but, but that, that's another issue. So, bottom line right here, let me find my summary page. Bottom line right here is that every time a bank makes a loan, it creates brand new money. And this is because credit, loans, these are money. These are entries on the computer, and this is, as I said, that, that English fella said it was 97% of all the money in England was created this way. Now, now let's say he's off by you know, uh, 10, 20% for the United States. That's still a hell of a lot of money. Now, I found my summary page. Uh, this one I'm going to leave you right now with this idea of how modern banking operates and how banks create money and how banks don't simply loan out people's savings. Banks are creating the money that people then use to make purchases of consumer goods, to build restaurants, to plant crops, whatever you like. That this money that is created then activates real resources that then create greater goods and services for us. Well, guess what? Government does the same thing. Just as there is a process in the private sector by which when the private sector wants to deficit spend, it can create money within certain constraints, of course. So the government can do the same thing. We are not borrowing money from China. What is going on there is a completely different phenomenon, one we'll get to in a later video. And the Chinese are not going to start loading up statues of Buddy Holly and taking them back to Beijing. All right? Now don't worry about that. What the government is doing is creating its own financing to activate idle resources, just like the private sector does. And on that note, I believe I'm going to have to ask you to leave.